Volume Three, Chapter Eight of Cecilia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Christine Blashford. Cecilia, Memoirs of an Heiress by Frances Burney. Volume Three, Chapter Eight: A Remonstrance. Cecilia returned home so late that she was summoned to the dining parlour the moment she entered the house. Her morning dress and her long absence excited much curiosity in Mrs. Harrel, which a quick succession of questions evasively answered soon made general, and Sir Robert Floyer, turning to her with a look of surprise, said, "'If you have such freaks as these, Miss Beverley, I must begin to inquire a little more into your proceedings.' "'That, sir,' said Cecilia, very coldly, "'would ill repay your trouble.' "'When we get her to Violet Bank,' cried Mr. Harrel, "'we shall be able to keep a better watch over her.' "'I hope so,' answered Sir Robert, "'though faith she has been so demure that I never supposed she did anything but read sermons. However, I find there's no going upon trust with women, any more than with money.' "'Aye, Sir Robert,' cried Mrs. Harrel, "'you know I always advised you not to be quite so easy, and I am sure I really think you deserve a little severity for not being more afraid.' "'Afraid of what, madam?' cried the baronet. "'Of a young lady's walking out without me? Do you think I wish to be any restraint upon Miss Beverley's time in the morning, while I have the happiness of waiting upon her every afternoon?' Cecilia was thunderstruck by this speech, which not only expressed an open avowal of his pretensions, but a confident security of his success. She was shocked that a man of such principles should even for a moment presume upon her favour, and irritated at the stubbornness of Mr. Harrel in not acquainting him with her refusal." His intimation of coming to the house for the happiness of waiting upon her made her determine, without losing a moment, to seek herself an explanation with him, while the discovery that he was included in the Easter party, which various other concomitant causes had already rendered disagreeable to her, made her look forward to that purposed expedition with nothing but unwillingness and distaste. But though her earnestness to conclude this affair made her now put herself voluntarily in the way of the baronet, she found her plan always counteracted by Mr. Harrel, who, with an officiousness too obvious to pass for chance, constantly stopped the progress of any discourse in which he did not himself bear a part. A more passionate admirer might not have been so easily defeated, but Sir Robert, too proud for solicitation and too indolent for assiduity, was very soon checked, because very soon wearied. The whole evening, therefore, to her infinite mortification, passed away without affording her any opportunity of making known to him his mistake. Her next effort was to remonstrate with Mr. Harrel himself, but this scheme was not more easy of execution than the other, since Mr. Harrel, suspecting she meant again to dun him for her money, avoided all separate conversation with her so skilfully that she could not find a moment to make him hear her. She then resolved to apply to his lady, but here her success was not better. Mrs. Harrel, dreading another lecture upon economy, peevishly answered to her request of a conference that she was not very well and could not talk gravely. Cecilia, justly offended with them all, had now no resource but in Mr. Monckton, whose counsel for effectually dismissing the baronet she determined to solicit by the first opportunity. The moment, therefore, that she next saw him, she acquainted him with the speeches of Sir Robert and the behaviour of Mr. Harrel. There needed no rhetoric to point out to Mr. Monckton the danger of suffering such expectations, or the impropriety of her present situation. He was struck with both in a manner the most forcible, and spared not for warmth of expression to alarm her delicacy or add to her displeasure. But chiefly he was exasperated against Mr. Harrel, assuring her there could be no doubt but that he had some particular interest in so strenuously and artfully supporting the pretensions of Sir Robert. 
Cecilia endeavoured to refute this opinion, which she regarded as proceeding rather from prejudice than justice, but when she mentioned that the baronet was invited to spend the Easter holidays at Violet Bank, he represented with such energy the consequent constructions of the world, as well as the unavoidable encouragement such intimacy would imply, that he terrified her into an earnest entreaty to suggest her some way of deliverance. "'There is only one,' answered he. "'You must peremptorily refuse to go to Violet Bank yourself.' If, after what has passed, you are included in the same party with Sir Robert, you give a sanction yourself to the reports already circulated of your engagements with I, and the effect of such a sanction will be more serious than you can easily imagine, since the knowledge that a connection is believed in the world frequently, if not generally, leads by imperceptible degrees to its real ratification. Cecilia, with the utmost alacrity, promised implicitly to follow his advice, whatever might be the opposition of Mr. Harrel. He quitted her, therefore, with unusual satisfaction, happy in his power over her mind, and anticipating with secret rapture the felicity he had in reserve from visiting her during the absence of the family. As no private interview was necessary for making known her intention of giving up the Easter party, which was to take place in two days' time, she mentioned next morning her design of spending the holidays in town, when Mr. Harrell sauntered into the breakfast-room to give some commission to his lady. At first he only laughed at her plan, gaily rallying her upon her love of solitude, but when he found it was serious he very warmly opposed it, and called upon Mrs. Harrel to join in his expostulations. That lady complied, but in so faint a manner, that Cecilia soon saw she did not wish to prevail, and with a concern that cost her infinite pain, now finally perceived that not only all her former affection was subsided into indifference, but that since she had endeavoured to abridge her amusements, she regarded her as a spy, and dreaded her as the sense of her conduct. Meanwhile Mr. Arnott, who was present, though he interfered not in the debate, waited the event with anxiety, naturally hoping her objections arose from her dislike of Sir Robert, and secretly resolving to be guided himself by her motions. Cecilia, at length, tired of the importunities of Mr. Harrel, gravely said that if he desired to hear the reasons which obliged her to refuse his request, she was ready to communicate them. Mr. Harrel, after a little hesitation, accompanied her into another room. She then declared her resolution not to live under the same roof with Sir Robert, and very openly expressed her vexation and displeasure that he so evidently persisted in giving that gentleman encouragement. "'My dear Miss Beverley,' answered he carelessly, when young ladies will not know their own minds, it is necessary some friend should tell it them. You were certainly very favourable to Sir Robert but a short time ago, and so, I dare say, you will be again, when you have seen more of him. "'You amaze me, sir,' cried Cecilia. "'When was I favourable to him? Has he not always and regularly been my aversion?' "'I fancy,' answered Mr. Harrell, laughing, "'you will not easily persuade him to think so. Your behaviour at the Opera House was ill-calculated to give him that notion.' "'My behaviour at the Opera House, sir, I have already explained to you, and if Sir Robert himself has any doubts, either from that circumstance or from any other, pardon me if I say they can only be attributed to your unwillingness to remove them. I entreat you, therefore, to trifle with him no longer, nor to subject me again to the freedom of implications extremely disagreeable to me.' "'Oh, fie, fie, Miss Beverley! After all that has passed, after his long expectations and his constant attendance, you cannot for a moment think seriously of discarding him.' Cecilia, equally surprised and provoked by this speech, could not for a moment tell how to answer it, and Mr. Harrel, wilfully misinterpreting her silence, took her hand and said, "'Come, I am sure you have too much honour to make a fool of such a man as Sir Robert Floyer. There is not a woman in town who will not envy your choice, and I assure you there is not a man in England I would so soon recommend to you.' He would then have hurried her back to the next room, but, drawing away her hand with undisguised resentment, 
"'No, sir,' she cried, "'this must not pass. "'My positive rejection of Sir Robert, "'the instant you communicated to me his proposals, "'you can neither have forgotten nor mistaken, "'and you must not wonder if I acknowledge myself "'extremely disobliged by your unaccountable perseverance "'in refusing to receive my answer.' "'Young ladies who have been brought up in the country,' returned Mr. Harrell, with his usual negligence, "'are always so high-flown in their notions, it is difficult to deal with them. "'But as I am much better acquainted with the world than you can be, "'you must give me leave to tell you that, if after all you refuse Sir Robert, "'it will be using him very ill.' "'Why will you say so, sir?' cried Cecilia, "'when it is utterly impossible you can have formed so preposterous an opinion. "'Pray hear me, however finally, and pray tell Sir Robert—' "'No, no,' interrupted he, with affected gaiety. "'You shall manage it all your own way. "'I will have nothing to do with the quarrels of lovers.' And then, with a pretended laugh, he hastily left her. Cecilia was so much incensed by this impracticable behaviour that instead of returning to the family she went directly to her own room. It was easy for her to see that Mr. Harrel was bent upon using every method he could devise to entangle her into some engagement with Sir Robert, and though she could not imagine the meaning of such a scheme— the littleness of his behaviour excited her contempt, and the long-continued error of the baronet gave her the utmost uneasiness. She again determined to seek an explanation with him herself, and immovably to refuse joining the party to Violet Bank. The following day, while the ladies and Mr. Arnott were at breakfast, Mr. Harrel came into the room to inquire if they should all be ready to set off for his villa by ten o'clock the next day. Mrs. Harrel and her brother answered in the affirmative, but Cecilia was silent, and he turned to her and repeated his question— "'Do you think me so capricious, sir?' said she, "'that after telling you but yesterday I could not be of your party, "'I shall tell you to-day that I can?' "'Why, you do not really mean to remain in town by yourself,' replied he. "'You cannot suppose that will be an eligible plan for a young lady. "'On the contrary, it will be so very improper "'that I think myself, as your guardian, obliged to oppose it.' Amazed at this authoritative speech, Cecilia looked at him with a mixture of mortification and anger— but knowing it would be vain to resist his power if he was resolute to exert it, she made not any answer. Besides, he continued, I have a plan for some alterations in the house during my absence, and I think your room in particular will be much improved by them, but it will be impossible to employ any workmen if we do not all quit the premises. This determined persecution now seriously alarmed her. She saw that Mr. Harrel would omit no expedient or stratagem to encourage the addresses of Sir Robert, and force her into his presence and she began next to apprehend that her connivance in his conduct might be presumed upon by that gentleman. She resolved, therefore, as the last and only effort in her power for avoiding him, to endeavour to find an accommodation at the house of Mrs. Delvile during the excursion to Violet Bank, and if, when she returned to Portman Square, the baronet still persevered in his attendance, to entreat her friend Mr. Monckton would take upon himself the charge of undeceiving him. End of chapter 8